This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. In a community Christmas concert one year, there was a lady who asked her pastor to select some carols which he thought they might sing for the evening. The pastor selected some and showed them to the lady. Oh, pastor, she protested, these songs are all so distressingly theological. Well, that is what Christmas is. It is thoroughly theological. Not distressingly so, but it is quite theological. And because it is, we're thinking this morning on the subject, the gospel of Christmas. Christmas, untheological. We might as well have life, which is unbiological. Or a symphony, which is unmusical. Or a scientific formula, which is unmathematical. If we think that theology is all dry and dull, we have a mistaken idea of what real theology is. Theology is really just a study of God. Since Jesus came to show us the Father, then we do find truths about God as we look at the life of Jesus, His Son, and especially at the things which characterize His birth. One of the elements which we hear so much emphasis about in the birth narrative is the word peace. The angels sang glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Most people everywhere want peace. Even Russians claim they want peace. Of course, the problem with the Russians' definition of what peace is seems to be so very different from the way we see it. One of our seminary professors returned from a visit to Russia. He said the word he heard most of all was mere, mere, peace, peace. In spite of claims for peace, many people give us the impression they want to impose their system upon us. They want their way for everybody else. And then when that's achieved, then peace will be accomplished in their sight. Abe Lincoln once said that the trouble with the world could be described by his two small sons. He said, I've got three English walnuts here in my hand, and each boy wants to have two of them. One of the professors in the seminary I attended many years ago expressed it very clearly with these words. Peace, this is one of the most beautiful words in any language and one of the most elusive realities in any culture. It's often sought, but seldom wrought. History, in the main, is cluttered with pauses between wars for enemy identification. There are plenty of peace talks, peace initiatives, peace treaties, peace summits, peace committees, as the world, the nation, and all denominations longingly search for peace. Yet, there's little peace, it seems. Peace, like war, must be waged. I think Billy Graham had it right when he said that peace on earth does not begin with consideration of national treaties and agreements. The place to begin is in the heart of the individual. 
First comes peace with God, and then follows the peace of God. There really can be no peace within your heart until first you have come to terms with God, seeking and finding His way. But look at the ways in which so many people try to find that peace. Particularly during this Christmas season, people turn to all sorts of things. For some, the season is just a time of merrymaking, and that's all. They feel that they have the license to do things during the Christmas season they would not even think of doing at other times of the year, even with the pandemic and the restrictions. There are those who let the bars down during these days. With this kind of attitude, so many become like the man who was asked on the day after Christmas if he had a nice Christmas day. His reply was, I don't remember, but they tell me I did. How sad. Compare the happiness of that man with that of another who spent a happy day with his loved ones, or a person who invited someone else to come and share the Christmas meal with their family, perhaps someone who could not possibly repay that kindness, or compare it with a person who felt so alone at Christmas time that he went wherever he could go and spent hours visiting those who could not be at their home for Christmas. Perhaps the beginning place for finding peace in the heart might be to take seriously the words of Jesus when he said, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Yes, peace is a beautiful word. And it's something we all want, certainly. It's not really hard to get, though. The Apostle Paul said it this way, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's Romans 5, verse 1. But there's yet another word in this gospel of Christmas. It's the word joy. The Christmas greeting is often heard these days, and the most often heard greeting is Merry Christmas. Again, the words of the angel who announced the birth of Jesus said, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great Joy, which shall be to all people. But there are those people who have the wrong idea that the coming of Jesus into the world, both 2,000 years ago and also today, brings sadness and a lack of joy. One person described Puritanism in these words. It's the, the haunting fear that someone somewhere may be happy. <laughs> this is the way we usually think of Puritans those who did their best to dampen the spirits of other people. And some think this is also what applies to the Christian, Christian gospel, Christianity in general. They think of Jesus Christ and his followers as killjoys. They're convinced that becoming a Christian would put an end to happiness. As evidence of this, they point to many professing Christians who seem to lead a drab, joyless existence. Well, such false kind of religion seems to be only a heavy burden to be born, not an experience of joy. Some years ago, a little girl was taking her first train ride. When nighttime came, her parents put her to bed in one of the train's sleeping compartments. But they assured her that their births, where they would be, would be right nearby. Still, the little girl was uneasy. 
After everyone got quiet, she called out, Daddy, are you there? Then she called out, Mama, are you there? And in spite of their par her parents' continued words of assurance, the little girl continued asking these same questions at regular intervals over and over. Finally, one man whose sleeping compartment was nearby and who had heard all the little girl's questions reached the breaking point with his patience. So the next time the little girl asked her question, she heard an irritated, gruff voice say, Yes, your daddy is here, your mama is here, and I am here. We are all here. Now will you be quiet and go to sleep? There was a period of silence. And then the little girl called out in a whisper, Daddy, was that God? When we think of Jesus as one who takes away our joy, we completely misunderstand Christ and his way. Jesus is the one who really gives joy. Certainly there are some things that the Christian way of life says for us to leave alone, but that's because God wants to give us joy, not take it away. Some time ago, a minister attended one of the traditional football games between two schools, schools which had come to be rivals over the years. It was one of the most thrilling games he had ever seen. Every known thrill in football was a part of that game. From the opening kickoff until the final seconds of the game, it was an exciting experience. And to top it all off, in the last few seconds, the team that was trailing scored a field goal to end the game in a 20-21 to 21 victory. This preacher was sitting behind a man who had brought his own excitement along in a different form, in a bottle. By the end of the first half, <coughs> the man was totally drunk. By the end of the third quarter, he was asleep. And by the end of the game, this man had slumped to the stadium floor in a drunken stupor. This man was a tragic figure for many reasons. Part of the tragedy was that he missed the thrills, the excitement, the sheer joy and pleasure of the game. So much was there for him that day, but he missed it all. Yes, there are some things that Jesus knows will take away our joy. And he says, no, but it is for our own good and benefit. Jesus coming into the world, however, is a source of joy. We sing it. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. There's another part of the gospel of Christmas, and this involves the word fear. The gospel of Christmas is the good news of release from fear. Some of the first words that were said concerning the birth of Jesus were, fear not. Among his last words are, fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth, and behold, I am alive forevermore. That's found in the book of Revelation, first chapter. And yet, in spite of these words from our Lord, we find ourselves so often paralyzed with fear. Every person from Adam forward has had fears. Psychologists have labeled these fears all the way from A to Z, literally. There's a word called acrophobia. That's the fear of heights. And then the Z, zoophobia, fear of animals. 
One medical dictionary lists 217 different phobias or types of fears. And some of us are so put together that if we've experienced 216 of these, we'll never be satisfied until we've dabbled with the 217th. Some of these fears are enough to frighten us, surely. There's occultophobia, that's the fear of darkness. Antherophobia, fear of flowers. Chronophobia, fear of time. Ophidophobia, fear of snakes. A lot of us have that. My wife and one in particular. Phonophobia, fear of one's voice. Cytophobia, fear of eating. And to all these fears, we can add a common one. This is one that many people have. It's called a big word, triskaidekaphobia. That's the fear of Friday the 13th. Then too, in our day, we have a more modern fear. It's called nucleomidophobia, fear of nuclear war. And if these are not enough, then you might try phobophobia. That's the fear of being afraid. <laughs> One 90-year-old man kept books on his fears, and he discovered that only 8% of his worries were ever materialized. So now, I never worry, he said. 92% of my fears won't come true. And I guess I got enough faith to deal with them that's left. John Wesley went even further when he said, I would no more let myself worry than I would profane God by swearing. Well, not all of us are like John Wesley, but we can seek some balance between uncontrolled, paralyzing anxiety and complete oblivion to real dangers. The gospel of Christmas is a gospel of release from fear. Why does the Christmas story cast out fear? It's because this is a story of love. Love that God had for you and me in sending us his son. And the Bible says that perfect love casteth out fear. David McLennan tells the story of a young woman named Janet Peebles, who was a fugitive from justice, but she didn't need to be. It seemed that Janet had stolen some money belonging to the firm for which she worked. <clears throat> Over a period of two years, she had taken several thousand dollars. She had meant to replace the money, but the auditors had come in before she expected them, and just before her theft was discovered, she left town for a distant city. Janet's mother wrote a pitiful letter to a pastor in that distant city, a pastor who had been formerly Janet's minister when she was just a little girl and a man in whom Janet placed much confidence. There was just a chance, according to Ms. Peebles, the mother, that Janet might drop in at church some Sunday night. There were indications that Janet might be in that particular city. Her mother's letter to that preacher explained, My daughter Janet is a good girl at heart. I'm not excusing her for what she's done, but no doubt we've all been at fault in not understanding her better, not helping her more. But all that matters now is saving Janet from herself. I know she's sure her situation is hopeless. And then if she comes home, she'll be arrested and tried and sentenced. And she'd rather die than face that. But her mother's letter continued, 
But the wonderful thing is that she won't ever be. We've all forgiven her and we love her more than ever. Her employer is willing to take her back and let her pay the money she took. He's even said he'll raise her salary. For he says he should have done that in the first place anyhow. He says that Janet has been one of his most valued workers. But how can we get the word to her that we all love her and really do forgive her? And that it's not hopeless at all. That mother's letter to the pastor concluded with a suggestion to the pastor. When Sunday comes, I have the strongest feeling that Janet will go to your church. You meant a lot to her when she was just a little girl in the church here. And when Sunday night comes, she'll be lonely and afraid. I think she may just well slip into your services, hoping not to be seen. Anyway, I'm coming to your city myself, and I'll be at church on Sunday nights, and I'll watch for her. Perhaps in your sermon, maybe, or in a prayer, you could say something that she'll take as a word to herself. The pastor worked long and hard on his sermon, not really knowing whether or not Janet would come that night. And since that Sunday would be the Sunday before Christmas, he chose to preach on the subject, Home for Christmas. During the hymns, the first part of the service, the preacher kept wondering if Janet were there in the congregation. He wondered if she would hear the words, O come, all ye faithful, and if she would respond to the invitation, Come ye, come ye to Bethlehem. In his prayer, the preacher asked the gracious, loving God to assure every troubled soul that in God's divine love there is forgiveness and peace and power for a new beginning. The good news of the gospel of, G of Christmas just had to get through, the pastor thought. If Janet only knew that she could trust God's love to face not only the worst, but also the best. She really could be home for Christmas. Well, was Janet there in that service that Sunday evening? Her mother's guess was correct. Although the pastor saw neither Janet nor her mother in the service in that large congregation. After the service was over, an usher told the pastor of a touching little meeting that he observed between an elderly gray-haired lady and a young woman. They must have been mother and daughter, the usher said. After the others had gone, those two just stood there in the vestibule and held each other. I think they were crying just a little bit, for joy, I guess. The usher said, you know, funny what things go on in church, isn't it? A few days later came a letter to the pastor confirming that usher's report. Janet was home for Christmas. The new year was going to be really new. Perfect love had cast out fear. Yes, this is the gospel, the good news of Christmas. It's the good news of peace, of joy, and of release from fear. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish 
but have everlasting life. May that life be experienced by you today and during these days ahead as we worship our King, Jesus.